Hi, and welcome to the Self-Care Community Podcast. I am Ruth Ann Russo, your host, and I'm very excited to have with me today Peg Bielow, actually Dr. Peg Bielow. Peg, welcome. Hello, welcome. Happy to have you here. And um, as we were just saying, actually, before we started this, we were talking about how you're bringing this really interesting expertise around nurse leadership. And it's, it's interesting because not only are you and have you been a nurse leader, you are also researching um, nurse leadership from your own perspective, and you, you'll get to share that with us today. So I'm really excited. Um, Peg, would you mind just giving everyone a quick overview of your background? Because I don't think I can do it justice, and I know that you can. <laughs> sure. Uh, so... My background, uh, originally I started as a clinical nurse, uh, and my specialty was in perioperative services, which is uh, the operating room and uh, surgical uh, care of, of patients in, uh, in hospital environments. And so I had um, probably 20 years of clinical nursing experience in a variety of specialties and then decided that I, I wanted to pursue the management uh, end of this uh, nursing profession. And so I went back and I had a business uh, master's degree in business that uh, helped me prepare for my leadership roles. And they quickly grew. Uh, and then, you know, it was, it was a lot of success I had in, uh, in perioperative nursing leadership roles. Uh, but over time, one of the things that I discovered is that I was quickly burning out in my perioperative leadership roles. So what I was trying to do was uh, seek some relief uh, for some of the stress and uh, overwhelming responsibilities for the job and then layering on that with you know children and the family and managing a house and all those other elements that, that people just juggle, you know, day to day. So I was really searching for some release uh, of how I could, you know, manage these challenges in a, in a healthier way, because I felt I, my, my health was slipping in that um, it wasn't eating right. My sleeping patterns weren't as what I really needed. Um, my exercise was kind of falling off. And, and so was, you know, spending time socializing with friends and family and, and all of that. So I, I was recognizing that there was a cost to being in these leadership roles that was affecting um, my self-care. And uh, that was really my challenge. And that, that's what really started me on the journey uh, for my work in researching nursing leadership positions because I was also bearing witness to other nurse leaders in these director roles across the country that were also ex you know, experiencing some similar issues. And so I really wanted to understand this, this uh, nursing leadership population and were there specifics about the role itself, the environment, um, the, the scope of responsibility, what were the elements that were really uh, influencing this group of nurse leaders? Because the bottom line is we're challenged with finding replacements or up and coming people wanting to step into these roles. 
schools. And uh, that's really the work that I'm doing now. I'm working as a consultant across the country, trying to uh, fill these, uh, on an interim basis, these roles that are getting increasingly more difficult to find people to fill the needs. Hey, I, I do have a question for you. That, that is wonderful. And I know you haven't gotten to your PhD and how that occurred. And I, I definitely want you to talk about that. But I do have a question for you. When you're talking about the role and in the individual, is it your belief, whether personally or other folks you've seen in these positions, are these individuals overachievers in the role? Is it the role itself that just, it's, it doesn't matter who's in this role, it will just result in some kind of burnout? Or is it some combination of both? It's a combination of both. Um, people undergoing into the nursing leadership roles in this perioperative uh, director role specifically, um, there's responsibility is broad. So there's, you're responsible for the clinical issues uh, and the care of all of perioperative services. So that's uh, operating room, uh, pre-procedure, post-procedure environment, um, all the regulatory requirements, um, the budget, and of course the workforce. So it's it's there's a the scope is large, and um, in mo there are several different kinds of models. There's for profit and non profit, um, but in in the real world, the OR, the operating room and surgery, is is considered the economic engine of the hospital. And so in that model, uh, it, there's a lot of pressure for performance and uh, uh, production and keeping costs in line because we, uh, the technology is advancing rapidly and that has a cost. Uh, reimbursement is also dropping uh, for services. So that impacts the bottom line. And understanding how to manage all of that with a, uh, uh, you know, the limited resource in labor and in the workforce, it just creates this um, very complex role. So it is about the role itself, but I find that people that are attracted to, to going into this really want to, they like the challenge of it. So... Mm. I don't know that I would classify them as overachievers. I just think that they, uh, they're drawn to this because they've um, experienced the clinical piece of, of the clinical nursing piece of it and want, and want to grow into leadership positions. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a natural evolution into the leadership role, but there's a difference in this group of nursing leaders than, there, than others. And so does anyone in this process of going from nurse to nurse manager to nurse leader, does anyone teach you, do you learn how to take care of yourself in such a way that you can be effective and at your top uh, wellness, your top peak of wellness, so to speak? That, that had not been my experience. Um, and one of the reasons um, I, I was trying to seek relief, I was trying to seek information um, on, on how to manage these challenges. I was looking first within my organizations and couldn't find it. I was, there's some literature out there uh, that talks about it. I think it's 
a, a priority now more than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's positive. But there's really no, um, you know, when it when it when it push comes to shove, you really need the support of the senior leadership and the culture within the organization to recognize uh, self the importance of self care needs and also to make it something that is culturally acceptable to practice. Wow. And I think that that was probably the most profound piece. So for instance, if you're, most perioperative leaders will tell you they work a 12 hour day. They start at six o'clock in the morning and they're usually there until six or seven o'clock at night. And that's not their drive to and from work and, and all of that. And I often thought like, wouldn't it be great if I had an hour and a half lunch that I could go do my exercise and eat, if, you know, why would I want to work straight for 12 hours? Um, and it's five days a week, it's right? So it's, 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 it's ongoing, it's relentless. And the, and the uh, responsibilities are 24 hour responsibility for all the services. So if the organization accepts some initiatives to support self-care, I believe the nurse leaders will be more effective in caring for themselves. I think that's a critical piece. It right. was for me. And then the question also becomes, Peg, because I, I hear what you're saying, like you're here you are working for 12 hours, you or whoever, and then if you had this period of time in the middle, the question becomes also, can, are you going to be more effective and are you going to be a better asset to the organization because now your, you know, your, your blood sugar isn't plummeting and spiking because you've got some good nutrition in you and you have a little exercise, that kind of thing. Um, and so, so what, I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think if you have that type of intervention, that type of opportunity rather to take a break in the middle of the day or whether it's beginning of the day or end of the day and take care of yourself. Not only will you feel better, but the organization will benefit. Uh, no doubt that uh, you, you would come back re-engaged. Um, there's, there's nothing, you know, is in mind, body medicine, you know, it's always, you know, if you need to change a thought, you move a muscle, right? So movement of any kind, whether it's a walk outside or getting on a treadmill or uh, just, you know, taking yourself out of an, a stressful environment for a little bit and moving um, gives you the opportunity to regroup and refocus. And so if you've had a very stressful morning or a tough meeting or uh, some issues that you really need to resolve, um, you know, having a, a walking meeting with a manager outside is 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 a good strategy that I've used uh, in in some facilities. But it has to be socially acceptable in the facility, so that, for instance, when you're having your walking meeting outside, people aren't you know thinking, oh, they're you know walking outside, <laughs> they're not working, right? So, yeah. right, because they yeah. see you walking around on the walking paths, and and most hospitals have you know healing you know gorgeous gardens for the for the patients and the visitors but the the staff need to use that too and so they also need the freedom to do that and socially acceptable to take a step back 
and uh, exercise that ability to um, incorporate whatever strategy it is. Now, that's just what worked for me. Um, you know, some people might prefer a quiet room, right? Um, and, and having a, a like a little healing uh, environment where they could go for a half an hour and just uh, meditate and unplug. Right. So, so specific to the individual. So you're, you're hitting some really key points here that I think are probably worth repeating. What you've said is you need senior, senior leadership support because what I hear you, you know, I hear you, if you're taking a walk outside on the walking path and it's not socially acceptable, then that's potentially going to create more stress because <laughs> you're feeling like you're doing something that even though it's helpful to you is not, is not acknowledged by the organization. So lead, senior leadership support, um, having this culturally acceptable, and then also making sure that people realize, you know, you want to pick something that works for you. Everyone isn't going to resonate with the same self-care solution, right? Right, exactly. And so, um, as in, as I was sharing with, uh, based on my research, uh, when I was researching specifically perioperative leaders across the country, it, geography didn't matter. This, they were out west, southwest, northeast, central. That this, they all had this overwhelming sense that they couldn't take that step back and practice the self-care that they wanted. And the first response that they had to take care of themselves was to isolate themselves because that's the only way they could diffuse. No, no. And they, they couldn't handle any more stimulus. So retreating and isolation were actually their first ideas of how to care for themselves. But it also what it did is it compounded their problems, right? Their, their, their self-care challenges. Um, and so it was, it, it was very, is a very fascinating dynamic that, that I, I saw. Hmm. So when you say isolation, Peg, it's, is that something different from someone who feels like you had mentioned, well, you liked walking on the walking path, but somebody else might want to take some time and maybe meditate. Isolation isn't meditating or isn't doing something that might be taking care of yourself in a, um, like a set, a room that's quiet. Those are two, two different things. Oh yes. The isolation was um, really protecting any more stimulus from coming in, whether it was conversations with friends and family, um, attending family functions, not feeling like I really want to go to the kids soccer game tonight. Um, you know, do I really need to, you know, go out to the movies with my husband? I'm really too tired. Uh, you know, all that stuff that they just wanted to go in their room and, uh, you know, just sit down and maybe watch TV alone. There was this, uh, this overwhelming sense of wanting to, to be by themselves um, and not interact with the people that were important in their lives. Oh, boy. And so then what if this if this does if this doesn't in fact happen? Is there some guilt that follows that after this happened, after this is going on for a period of time, or did you not get to that? Oh, well, they all told, in their narratives, they did share, all had variations of how it just manifested into other issues. 
mm -hmm. right? The, the, you know, so um, it, it has, it does have a ripple effect, but it's, it didn't start that way to, uh, you know, that wasn't their intention was to isolate themselves. It was just the first thing that they could think of to do to give them some relief. And uh, they were manifesting signs of lack of self-care. But again, I think that's the other piece we talk about is, is education and really bringing it forward. What are the signs of self-care, uh, of a self-care deficit? And how do they manifest? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really important for, from my perspective, to, to keep note on uh, educating people into what this means because people want to forge on and there really is this sense you really don't want to go to your boss you know especially when you're at a you know, higher level of a uh, of a role and you don't want to say hey i'm burning out right because then it, it sets another trigger that you know wow are you a good fit for this job right so how do you have that confidence that your leadership your boss has been educated in how important self-care is and how, what is their influence in creating a structure within the organization to support these leaders and provide self-care. Mm, yeah, ex exactly. You put your, your finger right on the issue, on the pulse of what this is all about, right? It's understanding burnout and understanding that you don't, people don't want to feel that they are doing something wrong if they're experiencing these feelings. That should be something that organizations are just naturally um, prepared to deal with. So, because what, what are the numbers now, Peg? Is it 50% of all healthcare professionals say that they've experienced some level of burnout in their professional life? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Right, so we know pretty much one in two people will be affected by this, and so it, it feels like health systems, health organizations have an obligation to actually address this. So you were talking about how you were looking for some release, some way to address your own challenges. I don't know if you would call it burnout or just, you know, stressed out on the job. And how did you find what those were? How did you come about those? It sounds like it wasn't your, it wasn't you the place you of work that provided that to you. You found these on your own? Well, yeah, so I was doing, I was doing the traditional things I think that people would think would be self-care, right? I would get, you know, a massage or, you know, um, go to a, the yoga class and, you know, then I was seeking out some retreats and some uh, yoga centers across the country and just, you know, going to workshops and, you know, trying to, all of, there was a theme there. They were all about self-care and they were all about stress. And then um, I just, I was actually at a uh, food is medicine conference in Bethesda when I came across um, uh, the faculty at uh, Saybrook and uh, Jim, James Gordon and, you know, the center of mind, body medicine. And it just, the whole theme there was self-care. And it was like, this is exactly what I needed. I needed a, a way to learn uh, and justify what self-care 
is how it impacts me, how it was impacting me, and how I can correct it. And um, that's what started me on the journey for uh, studying mind-body medicine is because the, all of the topics, they were all so relevant and they were all so useful in helping me manage, better manage my self-care. Yes. Yes. And we actually, you and I, we, I didn't mention this in the beginning of our podcast, but we met in the very first cohort that we were a part of in 2012 when we started the program. Yes. And Peg, you and I were in the same uh, mind-body skills group where we learned what the Center for Mind-Body Medicine teaches us, mind-body skills groups. We learned those as part of our program, right? Correct. Yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, definitely a lot of fun. So you actually went through this entire rigorous program, probably somewhere around four years or so, I guess it probably took. Yes. You went through the program, did your research, now you're back in the field, um, actually doing the work, but also looking for any opportunity you can to interject the findings from your research so that you can change what's going on with nurse leaders in this perioperative area. So what would you say, if you had to give some advice, top maybe two or three things that uh, healthcare systems, if you wouldn't mind, what can healthcare systems do and then what can the individuals do? Um, well, healthcare systems, uh, definitely it's education and understanding the impact of uh, a self-care deficit. And how it impacts, you know, there's literature out there about how it impacts physicians and, and nurses and leaders and all of that. But it really is how do you work that into the culture? I think that's a big lift because, as I said before, most organizations are struggling with um, financial challenges, right? So reimbursements are declining, technology is getting more and more expensive. So where do you put your, your money, right? There's limited resources. And how do you allocate those scarce resources? Uh, so understanding um, how leadership can support um, the individuals in those roles, uh, I think is essential. And I, I would, did witness that several organizations try a group process, but in the end, I believe that most of the individuals would value from something that's very intimate and personal uh, to themselves to make it meaningful to them. You know, so, it, you know, a group workshop I think is, is great, but also offering to them the individual opportunity for that wellness coaching, that intervention that's supported and paid for by the organization. Um, so that uh, it, it can help their, their leadership and take that stigma away from saying, hey, I, I think I'm approaching burnout, right? right? So making that, and then for the, uh, for the person themselves, for me, what helped me the most, um, you know, beyond the, the, you know, the yoga and the massage therapy and all of that was really understanding what my boundaries and holding to my boundaries. So managing my boundaries um, and speaking up for myself was, is probably my strongest self-care tactic. Mm, yes, managing boundaries. So is that, and how, if you wouldn't mind sharing, 
how did you, how were you able to do this? Or because that's not necessarily when we think about self-care skills or activities, you were mentioning all things like yoga, meditation, the, the list goes on and on. So setting boundaries isn't necessarily one of those specific types of practices, but how did you actually do that, Peg? How did you come up with a, a plan for yourself? So I practiced, right? And so it's really practicing the ability to say no and having a comfort level with um, saying no to um, the things that you feel that will take too much time away from you, but then you have to balance, you know, your, your priorities within your, your role. Right. Mm -hmm. So a part of that is in combination with leadership development and learning how to delegate and also developing other people to come up through the leadership chain so that you're not that point person that is doing everything. So I would say it's a combination of the leadership development and learning how to delegate and streamline tasks of the role, starting to bring up, uh, you know, the other people who might have an interest in leadership and, uh, you know, cultivating their talent, but then also having a, a direct line of communication to, you know, the senior leadership who typically is, is who the nurse leader reports to um, and, and that comfort level and understanding that, you know, I think, you know, I can make this recommendation on doing A and B, um, but C is not going to happen right now. Hmm. And so, and that's part of that is also that you're managing stress because if you know what your boundaries are and you're willing to keep them in the past, by not actually acknowledging your own boundaries, you're opening yourself up, you're feeling more stress about the fact that now you've taken on more things, mm -hmm. but you're, you're actually not doing that any longer. So good, good uh, two-part suggestion there. One is the, the leadership development for those who are actually serving with you, I guess people who you are managing yourself, and then also sticking, saying no. Right. No is I've, I just heard this last week. I was in a group actually. And someone said, no, can actually be a complete sentence. <laughs> we can just say no. <laughs> believe it or not. So, so, well, that's great. So we always end the podcast with um, our guests talking about their own favorite self-care practice. What, what is yours? So my, uh, my favorite is uh, spending time in my garden. Uh, I find that gardening and, you know, digging in the dirt and watching things grow and even weeding and trimming has been uh, very, very therapeutic for me. And uh, I, just, I love the seasons in the garden and spending time in the garden. I can just feel... Um, my body shift. It, it shifts into a more comfortable uh, sensation. I, I, I can tell that I, my, my thoughts are clearer. My mind is not racing. And uh, it's just, it feels gentle and soothing, even though it's physical, right? So there's a lot of physical work, but I get lost in the moment. And um, I, I I spend time in my garden. So that is my favorite uh, way that I care for myself. Oh, I can actually picture you there. And, and I love the way you described it because 
it's clearly a full mind-body experience as you described it, right? It's physical, but also mental and emotional. I Yes. In your description. So thank you so much. I think that's a wonderful way to end and for everyone to picture that, um, you know, you or even themselves, right, in a beautiful garden surrounded with amazing smells and uh, beautiful sights. Thank you, Peg. Thank you so much for joining us. And oh, I do have one question. If anyone would want to contact you to learn more about your research or maybe if they might have questions, is there a way that individuals listen, or listeners could get a hold of you? Uh, yes, I'm on, um, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. Yes. And it, is your LinkedIn name? Peg Below. It is Peg, Peg. Okay, so it's not Margaret. Okay, so Peg Below, and you're the only one on LinkedIn. Sometimes there's like a thousand people with the same name. No. <laughs> it should be easy to find that, right? It's not very common. Right. All right, great. Well, thank you again, Peg. And um, Hopefully, uh, I'm sure what you've done here in terms of your research will make a difference moving forward in the healthcare system. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful chatting with you. All right. Bye-bye.